Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Uh, Eric and I share one characteristic. Well, not not just that. We we leak when we talk. Um, we we're weepers and criers, and uh, so some things do not change. Praise God! It's good to be with everybody today. Um, I just had a couple comments, you know, when you when you come back uh, home and you kind of reconnect with everybody, um, you see that some people are weathering the storm quite well. Some of you look the same. Uh, then others, it looks like you're a little wind blown, but that's all right, right? And uh, I'm going to respond to... To, to Mike, Mike talked about Tom undoing his ponytail and turning the fan on. Uh, I want you to know, Mike, I have had that revelation. I've had that experience. Uh, probably it's been <laughs> uh, 16 years ago. We were in a, a leadership meeting, and we were in a hotel, and Tom was my roommate. And that was the first time I did Where is Tom? Uh, there you are, hiding. Hiding behind Kate. But uh, Tom and I shared this hotel room. That was the first time I'd ever shared the ho hotel. And Tom was just newly married at that time. It was, I mean, they, were, they had only been married. And Tom had this long hair, but he kept it up in a ponytail. And I had always known Tom with a ponytail. Uh, but that night, Tom also, there is a process in which people take steps that they take to go to bed. All the husbands here say amen, because you know your wife has this process. Well, this was the first time, you know, I'm one of these guys that I walk over inside the bed and unbuckle my pants and choop, go like that, hop in bed, you know. But I watched this process of Tom get preparing for bed. And I saw him do his ponytail and got out his brush and everything else. And he set, he set up his fan because he had to have noise and stuff like that. And so, while he was getting everything ready, I caught a glimpse of glory. <laughs> so, when, when you said that today, I thought, if nobody else has that revelation, I have had that revelation. I've seen him with his hair down, all brushed out, and a fan blowing in that hair. Whew, I feel the Lord right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got kind of chuckled when Mike said that. I thought, well, nobody else here. They're joking, but I've had that experience. I know what he's talking about. Uh, yesterday we had the privilege of watching my son Josiah graduate from college at Taylor University. And man, did I feel old. <laughs> and uh, he is getting married next weekend. Because uh, he is uh, a young man on a in a hurry, I guess. Um, so this weekend we're here in Newcastle, and next weekend we're going to be in Wichita, Kansas. He's marrying a girl from Kansas, and she's a sweetie, and we love her. And and uh, so my goodness, you wish life would slow down, but it it doesn't. So people are talking to me about you know some of their kids and stuff like that. And, and we just told him, we said, this year we have a graduation and a wedding. Next year we have a graduation. We don't know if there's going to be a wedding. <laughs> the year after that, we have another graduation. The year after that, we have another graduation. Oh, my goodness. So uh, our, our birds are getting out of the nest. And some of them are pretty big birds, too. And uh, they got there by eating me out of house and home. That's how they became big birds, but we're glad that to see them journey, uh, their journey and their walk with the Lord. Um, I want us to turn in our scriptures to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And I have been preaching and teaching a series um, in Cedar Rapids at the church that I pastor on this iconic passage of scripture out of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And the Lord spoke to me at the very beginning of the year uh, as I was praying and saying, Lord, what um, do you want me to emphasize as a leader 
to the flock that I shepherd and lead. And there were several things, but one primary thing uh, that the Lord spoke to me is that to really drill down and emphasize in a real intentional way about developing the prayer life of, of our fellowship. And most of us here have heard a lot of teaching on prayer. We've gone to, you know, prayer seminars. We've read books about prayer. And all of that content has been very good. I mean, I've been blessed very early on. I remember in my, uh, you know, entry into ministry and into Christian leadership, Larry Lee was at that time really raising up a standard and he wrote a book called Would You Not Tarry uh, with Me for One Hour. And so uh, from the very beginning when I entered into ministry there was a lot of emphasis on prayer and then other leaders came and raised up that standard. And so you would think that with all of the teaching that we have had and with all of the, you know, the heart of God that's been imparted to us, we should have a passion for prayer and we should see more results when it comes to our praying. And, but I really see that for the most part, in the church in America is still a very prayerless church. Uh, but even those that are engaged in prayer, that they have said, I'm going to develop a prayer life and I'm going to have a secret life in God. I think all of us are saying we are not seeing the level of results, even though we're praying we're not seeing the return on investment. We're not seeing the answers, the efficiency, and the effectiveness that we really want to see in prayer. And so I think sometimes the church in America has been educated above the level of our obedience. And so my point this morning is to not teach on prayer again and have us go, yes, I need a prayer life. Yes, I should pray. And then we get this information but really, we do nothing with it uh, because it is a very perilous, dangerous thing for, for men and women of God to impart spiritual knowledge and truths from God's word. And then we do not apply it and we don't put our faith into practice. And so I felt the Lord strongly say, I want you to really start drilling down, digging deep with the people that you lead and start cultivating a passion for prayer. And one of the things the Lord spoke to me is He said, before we're going to get to powerful praying, you have to develop powerful people. Because powerful prayers are prayed by powerful people. And so in this passage of Scripture that, that we read, and most of us could quote it already because we've heard it so many times, but it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. We are in desperate times in which we have to hear from heaven. There is no plan B for us in this nation. And I think for a, uh, for a period of time, the church thought that we could get in the arena of politics and maybe change the course of our nation. And I'm not uh, telling you not to vote, not to be active, not to participate in your citizenship. Uh, I'm not saying that at all. But I, uh, Alex listened to maybe one of the messages that I've been teaching. He posted something on Facebook. And I made a quote, you can vote a hundred times, never change the destiny of a nation. But a man or woman of God that prays once can change the trajectory of this country. And so a lot of times we've had priorities where we've, we've tried other things because it's easier. I want you to know it's much easier to go in the ballot box and pull the lever or mark some box and go... You know, if enough of us do this, maybe things will change. Uh, it's a lot easier to do the many other things that the arm of the flesh can do, what we can do in the natural. But God must find for himself in this hour a people that are exclusively the Lord's. Amen. 
And I, I'm not going to teach this whole thing, but I, I've been breaking down this passage of Scripture phrase by phrase. The first thing is that God acquires for himself a people that see themselves as uniquely his. Then the next thing that it says is they learn to humble themselves. And that is not easy to do either. That is a process in which God brings us in to know how to approach him. And the way I've defined humility is humility is coming under the authority of God's word. And I have opinions and I have ideas and, and you know, I have perspectives and, and we view things from our vantage point. But humility is that I simply allow God to reveal truth to me the way God sees it. And you go, but I have my opinion. You have your opinion, that's great, but it really doesn't matter. The only opinion that matters, the only perspective that matters, the only thing that demands our attention is the truth and the revelation of God. How God has revealed himself to us. And so I have to acknowledge that. That he's God all the time. That he is Lord all the time. And because he is Lord, he invites me to partner with him in his kingdom. But it is, it is not this thing of co-equality. I can't come in there and saying, okay, I want you to coexist, God, into my, in, in, in your kingdom. And I want my world to invade your kingdom so I can have my territory here, my little fiefdom. And I rule and reign. And, 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 and sometimes... We're collegial. We interact together, specifically when I need you. When I'm desperate, I need you. I'll allow you to break into my life and to help and assist me maintain my territory. That's not the way the kingdom works. It's his kingdom come. His will is done in the earth just like it is in heaven. And it's not musical chairs there on the throne of God. You can sit beside him, you can be around him, you're seated together with him, but there is one that sits upon the throne, there is one who is God, and he's God all by himself. And he doesn't consult me, I don't know if you know that about that, he doesn't say, hey, can, I got a big decision here about what I'm going to do with the nation of America, what do you think? It says nobody has been his advisor, nobody has been his counselor, nobody has been his attorney, no one has ever had to represent his cause because he was in a pickle and couldn't get out of it. But he is looking for people to come to his throne and for him to issue forth his decrees and his declarations and that we embody that decree, we embody that will, we embody that declaration and we carry that will out in the earth. He's really, he's really looking for some people that will be his people, that will humble themselves and hear the decrees of our king. Now, the phrase that I want to focus in on this morning is there is this thing that it says, and pray, but you notice the conjunction. It's a praying and a seeking of his face. And before I get there, I want us to turn to one other passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I was just going through the Gospel of John uh, just as a part of my Bible reading. And I saw something that stood out to me about prayer that I don't know if it was just me pressing into truth about prayer, but this really stood out to me in verse 41, John chapter 11, verse 41. And uh, excuse me, that is not the text. Let me move up just a little bit. Yeah, it is verse 41, sorry says, so they took away the stone, and this is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and said, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, and I, stand, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I'm going to read it one more time. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. Hear me, 
But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. I believe that in the coming days, in the coming years in our country, there are going to be contexts in which God is going to create a platform for the church. Because God is in the process of removing all of the crutches and the props and the things that our nation has relied upon instead of trusting in the Lord. And so God right now is in the process of removing things that we have clung to that have been these crutches and props. And so God is going to, we know, the Word says, He's going to shake everything that can and will be shaken so that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. God is going to get this thing distilled back down to where it's just people and God. We're going to have to deal with this person who says, I'm the one who established the very purpose for the universe and the very plan and the purpose for creation and for man. And he's going to take away all the things that we've relied on and it's going to be God looking at us in the face and we're going to deal with the reality of who he is. And so this platform context that God is creating in this hour is going to be this perfect moment in which the church can rise up and demonstrate the power of God. I believe it's going to be an Elijah moment. It's going to be a Mount Carmel moment in which we're going to be able to say, how long are you going to be between two opinions? If God is God, then you need to serve Him. But if the Baals are your Lord, you know, the God who answers by fire, let Him be declared God. So we are going, we're rushing towards that moment. That's why if in that moment we are going to be called upon to pray powerful, Elijah-like prayers, we've got to be a people that in a secret place and in a hidden life with God, we've got to become a powerful people. Because those powerful prayers in which we hear from heaven and that God begins to release healing power that actually reverses the curse and heals a land can only be prayed by a people that have been formed and shaped by God. And so Jesus, in this moment, he said, God, Father, I thank you that you hear me. That you always listen to me when I call upon you. And and he said this. He said, I'm not praying out loud because I don't believe that you don't hear me. I'm not doing this just to, to somehow try to convince myself that you're listening. But he said, I'm doing it for those that are around me that yet do not believe. One of the greatest means of evangelism that is coming in the future is going to be people seeing a people pray and that not only does God listen to them when they pray, but that God answers them when they pray. One of the greatest things that you can have right now in your arsenal as a believer is have a prayer life where you become convinced that God listens to you when you talk to Him, but not only listens to you, He answers when you call upon His name. Okay, I want to talk about how can we improve our batting averages then? Because I want to pray. I want, and I, I think I am convinced that God listens. He hears me when I pray. Where I'm not totally convinced is that he answers all the time when I pray. And so there is this faith battle that goes on. God, I think that you're inclined to listen to me. But I want to increase the efficiency and the effectiveness to where Jesus is perfect theology. When Jesus prayed, not only did he know the Father listened, but the Father answered him. He was 100%. How many of you would like to have 100% in your prayer life that you not only pray and you're, you're convinced that you know God hears you, 
but that God answers you when you pray. 100% result. And so you go, well, that's just kind of um, idealistical end. Listen, Jesus is perfect theology. He is the pattern son. That is why the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. Because we've been taught about prayer. We've, we've been raised in the synagogue. We've had, um, you know, we've had the priest and we've had the Levites teach us how to pray. We, we know methods of prayer. We know everything. You know, we've seen people pray. Jeru or Israel was a people that knew how to pray. They had published prayers that they were taught by rote on how to pray. But when it came to Jesus, there was something different about Jesus' prayer life. And the, the difference was the results that he achieved in prayer. It wasn't the vocabulary. It wasn't the style. It wasn't the method. It wasn't the wording. It wasn't the script. None of those things. It was the results that brought them to this place of saying, Jesus, teach me how to pray like you. Because I've heard some other people that know how to pray beautiful prayers. But guess what? There's no results. It sounds good, but when they fire for effect, there's no explosion. They're shooting blanks. There's no results. I believe that how we're going to increase the effectiveness of our prayers is found in that phrase in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And you notice, again, this partnering. It says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, but then there is this term. It says, and seek my face. So there is a prayer. Obviously, there is a prayer that people can pray, but it's not a prayer that is connected to encountering the face of God. Now, I'm going to use a metaphor here, and I'm not trying to be graphic, but when we talk about seeking the face of God, it is a metaphor for union with God, and it's a metaphor of intimacy with God. And, and when we talk about seeking the face of God, you can go through the Psalms, and whenever it talks about, you know, David said that. He said, one thing I desire of the Lord, that which I'm going to seek after, is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Uh, this is the generation of Jacob. This is the generation that will seek the face of God. Whenever you go through those passages of Scripture, and because of the limited time, I don't have the time to develop them all, all of them are talking about the church entering in, or the people of God entering into what we call the beauty realm of God. It is where the church, and there are many metaphors for the church, the army of God, uh, the family of God, but we know that one of the metaphors for the church is the bride of Christ. And there is a bridal life calling, there is a bridal life vision that is above over all the church. And sometimes the church likes to focus on warfare, and so we get it. We're the army of God. Yes, sir, general. You know, we're going to engage in the battles of the Lord. The family of God, where we talk about the one another's of sharing in relationship with each other. But in this hour, there is this breaking forth of revelation where God is trying to get His church. And the reason why there's going to be such emphasis is because we are in the last days. And in Revelation, there is this thing where it doesn't say the, the Spirit and the army of God say come, or the, the Spirit and the family of God says come, but in Revelation it says the Spirit and the church as a bride that has a bridal life vision, she will understand her role in the final hours of human history will be to act as the bride of Christ says in Revelation, says that I saw the bride adorned and ready for her husband. And so there is this thing where God is going to take our prayer life and there's going to be this shifting of our prayer life. And I think that it's not just for us in our generation. I think there are some things about prayer that we have actually lost. Other generations used to walk in these truths but somehow we got too sophisticated 
and we decided to go other directions in prayer. And we've lost a depth and a breadth of prayer in the church. But God is trying to bring us back to a depth in prayer. And the issue is going to be centered around this, the seeking of the face of God. And so it's a metaphor for intimacy. It's a metaphor for becoming one with Christ. And so I want to say that prayer, if we're truly going to be a people that seek the face of God, there is going to be three stages of our prayer life. And uh, prayer is this process of intimacy, deepening intimacy with the Lord in which we pursue the face of God. Most of us, we want to be intimate with the hand of God. And when I say intimate with the hand of God, I'm saying that we want God to do something for us. Or we think this is the way he should do it. So normally it's one of those two things. God, I need you to do this. And I think this is the way you should do it because this is the way I want you to do it. And how grieved we would be, how broken we would be in our marriage relationship if the only value that our spouse had of us is what we could do with our hands for them. And for those of you that like acts of service for your love language, <laughs> you know, I'm not picking on you. <clears throat> and so, you know, it's important that we serve. We serve with our hands. But our hands are not disconnected from our heart and from our face. And so God right now, I believe, has a church that we love to be intimate with the hand of God in that we want God to do things for us. And we're even willing in petition in prayer to even tell him how we think it should be done. But God is going to shift prayer to where we let go of our agendas, which most of them are trivial pursuits. This is why we don't see answers to prayer. Because we go in with prescriptions of how we're going to have the hand of God show up to get what we want, and we want God to perform for us. Well, there is this shift that's going to occur, and this is the shift. We have been praying to God. We've been taught how to pray to God. God is going to deepen our relationship with Him where we're not just praying to God, we're beginning to learn to pray with God. And so that means that when I come into prayer, if somebody comes to me with a need and say, I need you to pray with me about this need, what God wants us to do is sometimes we are so presumptuous, and I'm not picking on us because I'm growing in this as well. You know, So I, when, I, when I try to teach on this, I'm just trying to teach us to shift. Again, sometimes the shifts don't have to be huge quantum leaps. It's maybe just to the right or to the left. But I think some, so many times we have learned to just pray to God, and sometimes we are just presumptuous to know the mind of the Lord. And, and, and God is wanting us to say, no, instead of me just quoting a bunch of scriptures or just stating what I think I want God to do, instead of me just saying, I'm going to pray right now for you, we should say, let me pray with you and with God about this need and thus begin to see what God has to say about this situation. And so this is the seeking of the face. And so this is the other principle. Not only do we learn to shift, to not pray to God, but we learn to partner with God. We learn to pray with God because God is the initiator. We need to hear from heaven, don't we? It's not about rehearsing what I think he, he wants to say. It's about really hearing God say. And so I've said it this way. We have to start seeing until we perceive. Jesus rebuked his generation by saying, you see, but you yet do not perceive. Why? 
because they were overlooking what God was wanting to reveal because they assumed to know what His will was. So they were missing Him. Here Jesus was standing in front of them and they were looking at Him, but they were looking past Him. They were looking right through Him. And there He was. He said, listen, you're looking for the kingdom to come some way. I'm telling you, the kingdom is now in your midst. But in seeing, you don't perceive it. There was this thing where Moses, when the burning bush incident happened in his calling to become a deliverer of Israel, that he had said that he was in the course of his normal activity of being a shepherd, and it said that he saw a bush that was not uh, consumed. And a lot of us would have... And I don't know if that was odd. People have said, well, that wasn't so odd. I don't know. But I've seen things catch on fire before. Carmen and I were driving down here uh, two days ago, and I saw, you know, a farmer that had, was burning a field, and the fire had spread probably further than the way he wanted it to go. And I drove past, and I saw something on fire. And I was thinking uh, to that farmer, I hope you know that that's getting ready to catch her woods on fire, you know? But it's not unusual to see something that burns. But this was the thing. It said that he turned aside to see this thing. It was when he turned aside to see it, to take a closer look, to begin to examine it to a greater degree, that he began to realize that it was a bush that was not being consumed by the flames that were burning upon it and so we've got to be a people that learn to see and we continue to look we continue to gaze this one thing i do i desire of the lord singular focus to behold the beauty of the lord i hope you guys are tracking with me so when we when we worship when we pray This is what the Lord is speaking to me. You pray, Lynn, until and unto encounter. If I'm not praying unto encounter, if I'm not praying until encounter, I am religious as a Pharisee. I'm simply taking the time clock and punching it. And I say, God, I'm going to give you this much time and I'm going to check it off the list I prayed today. This is going to be a challenge to us because this means that we have to orient our lifestyle around heavenly realities. We've got to have a God-centered world. A God-centered perspective. And so this means that unlike our microwave generation that likes everything quick and fast, we are going to have to learn to slow the game down, to slow the pace down, and to carve out more time to begin to seek God in a more intentional way and learn to seek Him until we have encounter, until I see and perceive and listen until understanding comes. That's how spiritual pregnancy occurs. And these are the three steps I want to get you, give you. In the process where we engage in intimacy with God, which is what prayer is all about. Prayer, prayer is about developing a hidden life with God, about deepening a level of intimacy with God, walking with God, being in union with God, where God can reveal Himself to us. And there is this thing where there is going to be three stages of how God answers prayer through your prayers. And that is, there is going to be spiritual conception, there is going to be spiritual pregnancy, and then there is going to be spiritual birth. Some of us, we want intimacy with God, but we're unwilling 
to allow God to conceive of the answer inside of us. And Jesus said, I want you to abide in me and I want to abide in you so that you can have the ability to bear fruit. And he said, I'm going to nurture this relationship. So things that would hinder the fruitfulness, I'm going to be a faithful husband and we're going to, we're going to remove branches that are not bearing fruit. But the whole point is that I have got to be in connection with you to where the revelation of myself can become infused. The incarnate word can become incarnate again in you. Something of my life comes on the inside of you and a spiritual conception and a pregnancy has occurred. Right now we want to be the bride of Christ, but we don't want to be married to the Lord in a way in which we have intimacy with Him that leads to a fertility and a fruitfulness. And so the first part is conceiving, conceiving of the Holy Spirit. And that is a, 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 a seeing until I perceive and a hearing until I understand what He wants to impart to me. And that is seeking the face of God. It's like we're going to have face-to-face encounter. So I'm going to, in my prayer life, and in my worship time, I'm going to, and sometimes we know, and, 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 you know, I've used this illustration before. You know, Carmen and I, we try. We try to do the best we can with date stuff. And so sometimes it's harder just because of lifestyle and pastoring and stuff like that. But we could do five date nights intentionally investing in relationship. And guess what? We just had a, you know, the, the, the outcome of that uh, investment of five times going out on date nights basically would be just a good meal and catching up on kids, right? Nothing mystical, nothing magical, no pixie dust coming on, no vision of unicorns, nothing like that. How is your food? Good, good, this is a good meal. But it is in that investment of the the quantity of time, then one of those date nights, you sit down, and there is something, when I look into those big brown eyes, where there's something different. Where I go, we're going to date unto encounter. We're going to date, and I'm going to keep taking her out on dates until this dating thing leads to encounter. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's right. Because one of those nights, I'm going to look at her, and I'm going to go, this night is different. Love is in the air. Right? We don't do that with the Lord. We don't pray with an, uh, with an expectation that in our investment of coming before Him, because God wants to know that you're not just merely curious about the things of God. You are a seeker. And He said that if you just won't be indifferent or just curious, slightly curious, but if you will seek Me with your whole heart and saying, I will not stop seeking you, until I see your face. That is Second Chronicles 7.14. It's not about if my people humble themselves and just throw up a bunch of prayers. But it is that focusing, leaning in and saying, I'm going to pray until I find your face. Until it's a face-to-face encounter. When God finds a people that will invest and seek Him and look until they see and perceive and will incline their ears to hear until they can listen and understand, that is what will change a nation. Now the second step, and I want to go quickly because it's 12-2. God will begin to conceive of something inside of us. The womb of the bride of Christ will become fertile And in that 
moment of fertility, there is this thing where God will impart to us revelation and we will become carriers of the answers to the prayers that we so desperately need answered for. But this is another thing that I want to just state here. Then you go from conception, which is a celebration, but conception is not an answer. Because at any, we know, mommies that carry children, at any time of that term, there can be complexity and difficulty in regards to carrying that child. And there is this thing where mothers do not determine how long the labor is going to be. Now, in our generation, people check in and they check out the hospital. Well, when we were having kids, that's not the way it was. And so they go in and they have C-sections and they do spinal blocks and they do everything. And it's just, they schedule when they're going into labor and it's over in a matter of a period of time. But back in the olden days, no mother could set the time period of how long the labor was going to be. We have a little girl that lives beside us and they have three kids and she's done home births with all three of her children and they go to the the church and it's amazing she's one of these people where she can give birth to a child in less than an hour or two hours her 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 midwife did not even make it to the house on this third child or the second one and she's just it's amazing and then carmen the last one with karis it was like oh lord jesus you know because I want you to know, women in labor, they're very vulnerable to demon possession. <laughs> when we were having, was it, uh, was it Joshua? We had this real sweet doctor. His name was Dr. Ted Thompson. He was a born-again Christian, spirit-filled brother, just the sweetest temperament, kind, gentle temperament. And Carmen had a lot of back labor with, with Josh. And uh, I can remember Elizabeth being in the room, Bev being in the room, and this back labor was progressing hour after hour after hour. And Carmen had this table uh, that normally gets the food service, and they had raised it up, and she was leaning on there. And you know, as a husband, you don't know what to do. And so I was trying to massage your back, and it was like, stop, okay. Uh, no, press that right there, okay. Stop, okay. All right, yeah. no, here, press that. No, you don't, okay, okay. You know, so husbands, we don't know what to do, you know. But she was leaning on there, and Dr. Ted comes in, and he smiles, and I remember he sits down in the birthing room, and he goes, he goes, how are you doing, Carmen? And in that moment, it was like the exorcist. She, she looked at Dr. Ted Thompson, and she looked at him, and she said, Get this baby out of me now! <laughs> and I start chuckling, and Carmen's mother, Bev, starts chuckling. We think she's joking. And in a moment, she goes, I'm not joking! <laughs> and that's when we all, and Dr. Ted was smiling, and all of a sudden, his face just went, <laughs> backing out of the room. I'll come back and check on you just a little bit later. You don't set the time frame for labor. And many, much of the church right now, what we do is we're, not only are we unwilling to conceive, but we're unwilling to carry that which God has revealed to us. So if we get to a point where God reveals something to us, and what is inside of us is of the Holy Spirit, which is going to be an answer that God is wanting to manifest in the future, many of us are unwilling to go through the process of spiritual labor. And this is where the old-timers used to call it praying through. We're through praying in our generation. But we have got to go back to, it, uh, to this concept of learning to pray through. 
to carry it, to travail until a birth, a healthy birth takes place. And this is, you see this, and I don't have that scripture up there, but I believe it's in Matthew 26. You see this with Jesus. And he told him, he said, I want you to pray with me. This was in Gethsemane. He was getting ready to go to the cross. He was getting ready to become an answer to our need. And he comes to the Father and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But you see in this process where he didn't say, you know, I've got some real serious doubts. And you know what? When I was meditating on that scripture, listen, if he would not have been obedient to the will of the Father and to pray through that night on that particular topic in regards to our salvation, we would all have perished now. No plan B. There was no plan B. And I am thankful that he would not only conceived of being a redeemer for us, but he was willing to give birth to that which he had conceived of from the Father to be the all-sufficient Savior. And you see this yielding, this surrendering of his will to God. And he said, he comes back the next time and he said, Father, if this cup will not pass, if there is not any other way, not my will, but your will be done. Then the third time he came back and it was this reassuring confirmation where he just says, not my will, but your will be done. Now I want to finish by saying this. When we conceive and we carry spiritual pregnancies, there will be a time of spiritual birth. And for those of us that are moms and dads, we know that because of intimacy with our spouse, the result was having children. And the children bear the image and the likeness of both the father and the mother. And so sometimes we think that when God does this thing in prayer to manifest his answers, that it's only going to look like the Father. All of God's answers to prayer will not only bear the image of our God, our Heavenly Father, but it will also look a lot like you. You go, what do you mean by that? Because I find we've got to redefine what answers to prayer are. We think that if there is a financial need, the answer to a financial need is money, but it's not. The answer to a financial need is the manifestation of a giver, a person. God always answers. His answer to prayer will look like God, but will also look a lot like you or someone else that has been willing to have God conceive of something on the inside and an intercessor that will carry the thing through until full development, but is willing to give birth to it. So what is the answer for sickness? We want to say healing. But really, it's the manifestation of a healer. If someone is oppressed, we may want to say what they need is deliverance. No, the answer is going to be that God is going to raise somebody up who will be a deliverer for the people of God. And so we need to understand that when we engage in prayer, we're praying with God and it's a conception and a pregnancy, but most of the time when the answer comes, it is going to be through you. And that's why God needed to invite you into the process of prayer to make you powerful so that in that moment when somebody needs healing, guess what? Power can be released because you're a powerful person. That prayer is going to be powerful because God has changed you by the experience of you conceiving, caring, and giving birth 
to the purpose of God. Now, I want to see our land healed. He said, I will, you know, turn them and I will heal their land. And so it's not about us just filling the air with all of these prayers. God, save our country, save our country, save our country. It's about me seeking his face and God breathing into me a vision of what the United States is going to look like when he heals the land. And then me carrying that child, carrying that vision, carrying that thing in the womb of my spirit until I have to give birth to it. I'm not going to abort it. I'm not going to miscarry it. But I'm willing to go through the labor pains until that thing inside of me is giving birth. But then the final thing when it comes out, it's going to look a lot like you. <laughs> what will heal the, our land is the people of God. You being the deliverer, you being the healer, you being the answer to which God invited you to pray a prayer with him. I want you to stand with me. <clears throat> Guys, I'm sorry. I took about uh, three weeks content and tried to condense it in at about 45 minutes. But thank you, Lord. If... Uh, we could just have somebody come on the keyboard and let's pray. And the way I want to uh, release us this morning is I want us to present our spirit unto God as a womb that can conceive of the Holy Spirit. How many are ready for answers to prayer? We should all say, I'm ready for more answers to prayer. But I'm telling you, if you want answers to prayer, then you've got to make yourself available to the Holy Spirit to conceive a thing, to carry a thing, to become pregnant with a thing, to give birth to a thing. And before we pray, there was just one person I wanted to minister to. Uh, it was because she probably stood up close to me and I prophetic proximity. I started to feel in the word of the Lord for her. Leslie. I see you. While you were standing beside me, the Lord uh, showed me three pictures. One was of a wooden engraving, and I saw the Lord engraving on this beautiful plaque. And on the plaque, it said, I am faithful. But then the picture changed, and it went from something that was a soft, product like wood that's easy to be engraved to where I saw it go over and it was on glass but then the final thing I saw was I saw it lasered into like granite and what I, I said Lord what are you showing me wood to glass to granite what is this and it just said I am faithful and what the Lord is saying to you is there's been this progression in your testimony. And God is writing this testimony in you of you're going to testify. And I don't know what all that testimony looks like of you testifying of God's faithfulness. But at one season, it was awful pliable in how you could, that testimony could be written over your life. God was doing the engraving but it's like the product which is you. And God now has taken you to another revelation of his faithfulness. And now I see that this thing, it's going to be like a monument of God's faithfulness. It's not going to be just like this wood plaque you hang up in the house or in the breezeway or the entryway. No, this is going to be like a monument to the faithfulness of God. This thing is going to be etched in granite. It's going to be engraved in granite. God is going to use this testimony of his faithfulness to you as a Ebenezer moment. God has been my help. And, and I just sense that there are going to be venues and more and more 
doors that he is going to open up and you're going to take this monument of God's faithfulness and people aren't going to expect that you're going to display this thing but you're going to move this monument in places and people are going to see it and I'm talking about not a literal granite monument but that's the way it's going to be to people they're going to think they're going to hear some little testimony and when they go there it's going to be kind of like the Vietnam Memorial it's going to be kind of like Washington Monument. It's going to be like the Jefferson Memorial. It's going to be kind of like the Lincoln Memorial. They are going to be confronted with a testimony about the faithfulness of God. And it's going to be this thing that is going to, people are going to be stunned. So this is not about the craft show, which was the first picture. It's kind of like this little wood engraving. And then the next one, I saw that it was a little more stronger in its substance but now it's like God has solidified and crystallized this revelation and reality in your heart and life I feel that uh, that there is this thing of a spiritual strength that you have now where I know God is faithful amen I want to pray for you could you just raise your hands God I thank you that there is a memorial there is this monument to your faithfulness and your grace to Leslie. And that, Lord, this thing was engraved, but God, you are solidifying it. It's going from one substance to another. And so, Father, I thank you that as you complete the engraving and as you write out the testimony of your faithfulness on our life, I thank you that this is going to be something that will be visibly seen by those that you send her to, to minister to. God, I thank you this thing is not going to be hidden in a corner. It's not going to be just some little house decoration. But God, this is a memorial and a monument to you, God, to be declared in this region, but also in this generation. God, I pray that as Leslie testifies about your goodness and faithfulness, that God, that people will be amazed by what is recorded upon that monument. You have been her help. You have been faithful to her. And you have shown her your goodness, God. You are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's just raise our hands. Lord, I thank you that you are raising up a powerful people to pray powerful prayers that get the results God that you desire us to have but Lord we say that give us Holy Spirit a revelation in this hour of what it means to be your bride Holy Spirit draw us into a vision of life where we act and relate to you as if we are the bride of Jesus. And Jesus, I want to say to you that my heart is your heart. My spirit is your spirit. Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit. And so we say, take the womb of this church Take the womb of our heart and our spirit. And Lord, I ask that the very answers that we need in Newcastle, the very answers that we need in Henry County, the very answers that we need in our nation, God conceive a thing in us. Lord, I ask for face-to-face -face encounters in which we seek you until we find you. And that like Isaiah said, that I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up. And the train of his glory filled his temple. And as a result of that, he became the answer to his own prayer. He said, here am I, Lord, send me.
Lord, I ask that even today there would be a, a wooing and a drawing to you like never before. A separating ourselves unto you. A sanctifying of ourselves unto you. Lord, I ask that we would begin to take time to, to stay a little longer at your feet. To take more and more intentional opportunities. Seeing until we perceive. Keep listening until we understand. God, make us the answer. And I ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said. bless you guys. Encourage you, go seek the face of the Lord. Amen. Enjoy your week. God bless you. Let's have an encounter with the Lord this week. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.